0: It's the Monday after the night before, AEW New Japan Forbidden Door came to our screens and guys, what a show it was. Will Ospreay and Kenny Omega putting on an instant classic, perhaps surpassing their first match that they had earlier this year at Wrestle Kingdom. Kazuchika Okada and Brian Danielson, even with a broken slash fractured arm, managing to put out a hard hitting affair that has room for another and a whole host of other matches on the card ranging from pretty decent and serviceable to some really great stuff going on guys my name is george i'm the host here of all elite talking and welcome to my review of forbidden door 2023 so guys, without further ado, I'm going to jump straight into things. But before I do, I just wanted to say a quick apology to everyone that I was a little bit missing in action over the last few days. I've had some stuff at home that I needed to deal with all dealt with now. But apologies that there was no Dynamite and Collision reviews. I will touch upon my Owen Hart Memorial Tournament Cup tournament bracket winners and who I think is going to go where on that but that will all be encompassed as part of this so what I'm going to do is you guys know me well enough now to know that I'm not going to start with a match that is the first match on the card necessarily but we're going to talk about the big moments on where this card really excelled and guys I think there's no better place to start on this than a Mega versus Osprey 2. What a match. So it was a while before I saw the first Omega Osprey match and it got all the flowers as I'm sure you probably think it would just by knowing these guys and what they're about. You know that they've done something right when there's a certain portion of Twitter that start complaining straight away and say this shows a 0 out of 10, this has too much flips, this has too much this, Omega can't wrestle, Osprey can't wrestle and you know that when there's that much negativity... You know, these guys have gone out there and put on a classic and, well, what a show they'd done. It was just everything that I wanted it to be and more. Will Ospreay, he is probably a guy that I've been into longer than Kenny Omega. So my first ever time I saw Will Ospreay was actually a match against Ricochet. Now, this was a couple of years before that really famous match that they had in New Japan where they broke the internet and... Broke Vader by the sound of it at the time. But Will Ospreay was, it was probably about 2013, 2014, that sort of time. It was for a company called RevPro, who some people will have heard of in the UK, no doubt. Others may have heard it because it's been referenced a few times on AW. We've seen Will with a RevPro title. Anyone who watches New Japan will be aware of RevPro because that's where you get a lot of the young lines sent when they go out on tour. So Shota. He was one of the people that has been sent out at times. Greater Calm was sent out. Yota Tucci, Who I think has just gone back to New Japan. He's just come from a tour. Of a couple of years over here. In some of the venues I used to go to. Some of the really small venues. I say used to. Still go to. But at the time. Used to have Ozzy Ozu. Put my teeth back in. Used to have Aussie Open there quite a lot. And. Then Will Osprey obviously came over a few times as well and teamed with them, but you see Aussie Open quite a lot, and some other New Japan guys that you'll be aware of. Pat used to come there, used to get ELP, Chris Brooks, I know he's on New Japan, but he obviously went out to Japan, so there's a fair few people that I've seen coming through there, but at this particular time, they are actually at Southampton Guild Hall, so... All of those ones that I mentioned to you previously was in a nightclub, really small venue, but RevPro tried a show in Southampton Guildhall and it was kind of at the time led by, if I remember, it was booked around the premise that John Morrison was going to be there and that Bret Hart was going to be there. And I think the main event was John Morrison versus Marty Skell because I remember at the end of the night Bret Hart put Marty into the sharpshoot and that's how it that all ended. But obviously as the card goes on, there's a few guys who are notable people. Big Damo was there, Doug Williams was there, Tommaso Champa was there. I had no idea who this guy was, he just walked past me with his briefcase and I was like, ah, oh, cool, okay. Um so you've got all these people who are there and Ricochet was someone who his name I'd heard of, but going into it, I didn't know what the card was that night. And as I'm waiting, I can see all these people go, oh, it's Will, it's Will. I'm like, who are they on about? And it was this young kid, Will Ospreay. And the local scene there, they obviously knew him quite well. But at the time, he wasn't someone whose name that I'd heard of quite a lot. Now, I'm not going to profess to be any real sage when it came to the British scene at the time. Because I wasn't. Definitely more so now than I was then. And I still wouldn't hold myself in that high regard as some people would. But by the same token, he was obviously getting a few people who were really keen to see him. And yeah, the first match I ever saw that night of his was him versus Ricochet. And it was a bit of a high flyer match mixed with a bit of comedy and kind of a lot of that good stuff. And It just felt like a really fun match. But that was the night where I thought, I'm going to take notice of this guy. He seems like he's going to be really good. And then in a couple of months later, they announced their New Japan crossover show, Global Wars which they used to do quite regularly where New Japan would send over some of their top talent and they would battle against RevPro guys or British guys. So again, this was before I really knew a lot about um, New Japan. I booked it on the basis that the main event that night, and I think it was for the RevPro British title at the time, it was the champion AJ Styles versus Jushin Thunder Liger at Reading Leisure Centre. And it was a fun card. Now, at the time, apart from those guys, I'd heard of others. There was a guy called Shinsuke Nakamura who I'd heard a lot of and I really wanted to see because whenever I watched him on tape, he just never really connected with me. And I thought maybe if I see him live, he'd be quite good. There was Marty Scurll. There was a guy called Tanahashi who I'd heard was good, hadn't really seen. Obviously, I knew who I was. And I knew that was a big deal. So for me, it was a case of seeing AJ versus Liger, then Akada was there, but it was also announced that Akada was going to be facing Will Ospreay, which turns out was the match that got Akada noticed by New Japan, and that's where this whole thing has led. So for me, it feels like a really cool match and a cool, pivotal part of wrestling history for Will Ospreay, at least, to have been there live for. So fast forward all these years later and been a massive fan of Will the whole time, seeing all the things he's achieved... And seeing what he's done for the British scene as well. I was lucky enough to meet him a couple of months ago for 1PW in Doncaster. And just a sound guy. Really, really nice guy. And I took my mind to her first ever um, independent event. Where Will Ospreay was there in a probably less than 100 or maybe just around 100 people venue. That was it. It was literally around each side of the ring two rows of chairs, and standing room only. It is tiny, but Will be and Will, which he references in his post-match scrum of wanting to do right by the British scene, just come on and put out banger matches. So, a lot of love and a lot of respect for Will Ospreay, and he's one of the top guys for me. So, coming into this, I obviously had who I would like to see win, and if you'd asked me before I came into this, I would have said Will Ospreay was winning this. The whole card, and this is no um shot or shade at the bookers or anything but I thought that this was a really easy to predict card if you said to me can you go on there and predict seven of the main card matches who's going to win and put three grand on the line I'd have done it because it would have been that easy to work out And for those who are thinking, God, this guy's got a gambling problem. I am the most risk averse when it comes to betting. I'm the guy that takes 20 quid to a day at the horses, puts a pound on each of them and goes, "This if this horse wins, that's me, I've made my day. So it was really one of those cards where I felt like everything was really... The the lack of suspense for who would win was there for me. But you kind of go into Forbidden Door, or at least I go into Forbidden Door with this understanding that this isn't necessarily just so much about stories. And I think in most events, what I want is I want good matches, to great matches, of course, but I want there to be stories and reasons and consequences, all of that good stuff coming out of it. For Forbidden Door, I look at it canonically as its own little thing, its own bubble, where if they just come out of it having good matches and that's it, great. I mean this obviously was part of a larger story as well which works but it didn't need the really dramatic extra beats that maybe you would get like post-match or something like that. So I was coming into this thinking what would they do now. Let's just first of all talk about what they did and how this match went down. So you had Will Ospreay come out with Don Callis. Now really interestingly I wasn't aware of this but Will obviously still uses Elevated when he's wrestling for new japan a theme i've not heard in a long time i knew that was potentially some kind of issues with him using it and i knew that's why he didn't use it in the uk and he's got a different song that he uses in the uk which if you watch dynamite you will have heard a few times in the background and whatnot i actually prefer that to Elevated. i don't know why it's just a song that i prefer don't know if it's because i've had more matches with him live using that but elevate is still a great tune, isn't it? So he comes out. He's got Don Callis with him. He's got the world-class security with him. And this whole match is predicated along really getting his revenge on Kenny. Because Kenny, when he came to New Japan, he came back. Will so took it as a bit of a front where... He was the main guy after Kenny had went, at least for the foreigners. He was the main foreigner. He was leading the charge for New Japan. And Kenny just went, eh, i am coming back. I'm going to prove that, actually. You're just keeping my spot warm for me. And the lengths that Kenny went to, and we'll remember the the table and Osprey's face going through the table. All of that sort of stuff. Those images have really burned into your brain when you think about that match. And Kenny was just playing this really great Asshole type character and it really does depend whether or not you thought Kenny was a babyface based on how much you'd prefer him to Osprey I think and I think Osprey the same to Kenny in that that if you watch that press conference Osprey's dropping C-bombs like it's going out of fashion that automatically wins him over in my book but it just felt real there felt to be real tension and they delivered it in such a great way that Whichever side you are on if you have a side and I sound really tribalistic saying that, but I mean it in the, the competitive wrestling sense. Um yeah, I, I really just want to see Will get his revenge. So this match had a lot of callbacks this and what I thought was really great was both men were really on par across the match. There's a lot of give and take, back and forth between the two. Every time it looked like Will had Kenny's number, Kenny had Will's number, they were attacking each other and dodging, they were countering. It was great, it was really, really great and there was a lot of high risk stuff going on. There was a lot of Snapdragon suplexes, Poison Ranas, there was an amazing top rope, well obviously it's going to be top rope, but top rope shooting star press from Will Ospreay across Onto to Kenny Omega, who's draped across the top rope. Now, what I found really interesting about that was, obviously, wrestlers, workers, right? That's not a secret here. But Will is obviously really open. I think he plays this line really well of what he'll tell you as a wrestler he can't do. And that will be him speaking honestly. I think the guy is just really honest. And he says sometimes he says more than he probably should. And I think that is true with him to a degree. And I think part of him saying he'll never be able to do stuff properly like the shooting star press again. If I if I remember that correctly, I'm sure that's something he said. And it's always stuck with me because as he started bulking up, there's going to be things that he can't do as much. And especially as he's getting hurt and whatnot. So for him then to just do that shooting star press, it was incredible. I mean, really, he just goes for it and hits it perfectly. I mean, not you should ever think that Osprey would it and he gets down and he... Kenny's on the apron and he's getting up slowly. And then Osprey's jumping off the ropes, um, or sorry, the corner posts, and hitting an Oscar on him. So great stuff there. And kind of throughout, it was just, the violence then started escalating and escalating and escalating. You had Osprey trying to mimic the spot with Kenny with the table, but he takes him over to the announcer's table, gets his head and tries ramming it through that forbidden door sign that's on the desk. Obviously, it doesn't have the same amount of give as the table did, but it would have been great if they could have fully mimicked that spot. There was lots of other great bits throughout. There was a really dangerous-looking Tiger driver, which I'd need to go back and watch it properly. I know there's been a lot of discourse today about whether or not that should be celebrated, those kind of moves, or whether or not we should be disencouraging wrestlers using those kind of moves that are really really dangerous and docking ratings from them and you know I think it's a little bit I, I'm not sure what to say on that really I'm kind of of the opinion that I want wrestlers to do things in the safest way possible I am not here to see anyone's career get injured I'm not here to see anyone lose their life um So careers get shortened. Nothing like that. Nothing to say, I want this guy to have severe consequences. However, I'm also of the opinion that these are grown men and women. And that as long as they are okay with the risk reward. And it's not silly risk reward in the sense of some of the things that you see happening in in leisure centres and sports hall around the world for like 20 people where they do such stupid shit. But if they're happy with the risk-reward in the big shows that they're on and want to do a big move, and it's going to give them a bit of pain, and they think that they can get it done, and you know what, as long as these guys walk away from it, fine. It's not something that everyone should be attempting, but guys at this level, if they really want to go for it, absolutely go for it. It's their life, it's their career, it's really up to them, and I don't want to sound like I said bloodthirsty or anything, but I'm not going to get into this faux outrage culture that's going around about it. Because there's been a lot of stuff we've seen in wrestling, just not stupidly unnecessary risks for matches that don't have a lot of meaning to them. These guys, this is one of the biggest matches in their career. Kenny's done a lot of big matches in his career. Will's had a lot of great matches. This is going to be defining for Will. And I think going through what they did, I think it was important for them to agree what they're comfortable with. These guys are obviously very comfortable with that. So, yeah, it was... a was a tough-looking spot, no doubt. But the match itself, really, really great. What I thought was the ending went on a little bit too long. I thought that when Don Callis was ejected really early, I thought, okay, cool, they're getting rid of him, so they're also setting up this um, ending at the end where it's going to be a clean finish. And he didn't go with that, and I'm fine with that, because I think protecting Kenny in defeat Is a good idea because Kenny is one of the top people from AEW you don't want someone to just come and beat him clean and Will doesn't need to do that right now he doesn't need to have beaten Kenny entirely cleanly I'm not someone that normally advocates for dirty finishes or whatnot but in this case it makes a lot of sense you're protecting Kenny but you're also giving Kenny a reason other than let's see who the better man is in the rubber match to actually have the reason for the third and final match. Because that's just as important as all. If they both had one match each, you could have had Kenny just be like, yeah, no, I'm fine. I'm absolutely fine. We just, we've got one apiece. But now there's a reason there. So Callis coming back with the screwdriver, giving that to Will, and Will hitting Kenny with it. I felt at that point, we then... Or it certainly felt like we lasted a lot longer after that than I would have necessarily thought we would have done. And what that did for me anyway, is it just made that whole sequence felt like this big, like, oh, oh my God. And unless you haven't Kenny win it, it felt like the consequence of it was happening a lot later than it really should have done. I thought the One Winged Angel by Will was great. And what I thought was actually really fantastic was everyone was like, who's going to be the first person to kick out the one-winged angel? Who's it going to be? But we found out that it was Kenny. um, And I thought that was a nice little nod there, actually. And not something I expected to see. The kick out of one was great. Kenny just hulking up was great. And, yeah, overall, the the way that we came about with the win, we all win with the Stormbreaker, I thought was good. I really did. But I think by that point, with the... um, the screwdriver being used and kind of what we did after that it just took away from it a little bit for me and that's fine because for me this is match two in the trilogy and we're gonna see another match and if I can say this match was as great as it was it just went on a little bit too long the finish was a little bit flat not a bad finish I'll add that not a bad finish at all just a little bit flat so to have all of that but still be as great as it was they did a fantastic job here and I'm really more excited for Match 3 than I thought I even would be coming out the back end of this. For me, it was very much like, okay, do Match 2, then we can have Match 3 at some point down the line. Now I'm like, right, when are we getting this in? Because if that's what they do in Match 1 and that's what they do in Match 2, what is happening with Match 3? It would also be remiss of me to not mention the reactions that both guys were getting. So Canada, of course, you think you're going to expect Kenny to get... Loud, loud cheers, and you did. But the crowd were just fantastic. Lots of piece of shit chance for Callis. Kenny getting loud, loud cheers. Wanker chance for Will. You're still a wanker. And his facial reactions to the camera. One of the things that I think is really underrated about Will now is his ability to communicate verbally and non-verbally. The guy can cut a promo. A lot of people say he can't because he doesn't cut in a very wrestler style. He does it in a very real style. And he also reminds me a little bit of like a UK Samoa Joe. And what I mean by that is Joe has this very good way of just talking. And it just sounds natural. And that's what Will does. He is a natural talker. He gets hit about things. And that comes across in what he does. So... I think Will's done a great job there, but little facials that he would make to the camera every now and again, and he would catch the camera in front of him, he would just give lifted his eyebrows, something. He knows how to communicate with that camera, he knows where that camera is. The guy is a star. Anyone who says that Will Ospreay is 6 foot 1, 230 pounds, the ability to talk like he does, the ability to work like he does, and just look like he does and carry and carries himself. The guy is a star, and if I'm AEW, I'm doing everything I can at the end of his contract to say, Will, I know you don't want to move to America. I know that's not your thing. What do we need to do to get you to sign a contract with us? Will has already, in the post-media scrum, talked about how he is not looking to do indies for much longer. He has done... A great turn on the British Indies. He mentioned COVID and effectively how the British Indie scene did a lot for him in, in his eyes. And COVID decimated it. And he wants to do back for them and lift them up. He's been doing a great job in RevPro. He seems to not be doing some of the touring in RevPro as much. Which is understood, understandable even. Because you can't keep going to a couple of hundred tops um, seat venues and putting on these banger after banger matches with everything that's going on, and come out of it feeling okay all the time. He's been doing other shows for RevPro. He's been doing one PW. He's probably been doing some stuff I don't even know about, but he's been doing a lot of great stuff. Recently had a match with Matt Cardona. Was in a match with um, Lance Archer and a couple of other UK guys over here. The guy beat. Bobby Fish and then went into the main event on the same night on the last show I saw him on. He was in the Super Strong Star 16 tournament. The guy's been putting in a hell of a lot of work on the scene. So it's probably a good idea that he steps away for a little bit. starts wind those booking down, and getting people used to the fact that he's not going to be around as much. And then this is where Tony needs to jump and go, Right Will, what do you want for me to get you permanently? And I think... Showing that what he's willing to do with Pac in terms of giving him some leeway and all of that sort of stuff. I hope Will doesn't go that extreme because I think Will needs to be there more regularly to eventually be a top champion in AEW. I think the guy can be. You think of matches he can have with again with Kenny, Moxley, Hangman Page, just to name three. CM Punk is another one. Jay White, all of these guys at the top of their game, at the top of the card, already I'm thinking about Will Ospreay versus Samoa Joe. Even with Samoa Joe being way past his prime in terms of where he was, I'm thinking of all of these things. So Will Ospreay was mentioning as well about Wembley and I'm really hoping that he's on the card. I can't see a world where he's not. Now, a lot of people have been talking about How they don't want AEW to just start getting a load of British Indies in because it's in London. I think anyone that thinks that will truly happen, it's been a bit disingenuous. No disrespect to people like Nathan Cruz and stuff like that. Mark Haskins, all those guys. They're not getting brought in to be put on the main card of all in over the regular AW crew. That's just not happening. We might might see is we might see people like Michael Oku, Mark Haskins, Nathan Cruz, all that lot on some pre-show matches. Or if we have big multi-man matches, they might bring a couple of those guys in. I mean Jericho did say on Talk is Jericho that he was going to bring Michael Oku in when he had a show in the UK for AW. So you might well see Michael Oku get an appearance somewhere I wouldn't be against them on pre-show matches or in those kinds of things, but you're not going to be seeing them taking the top spots. We're not going to be missing anyone from AEW in a prominent spot because these guys are coming in. Will Ospreay, on the other hand, is someone who deserves one of those top spots. The guy is a genuine worldwide star. He is a New Japan World Heavyweight Champion. The guy is on the top level. He deserves a spot. Who that's against, I don't know. There's a number of things that we could do there. I've heard people suggest Will Ospreay versus MJF. For me, one of the things that I did think of that I would have liked to have seen was Will Ospreay versus Brian Danielson. I think that would be a fucking great match, especially with their little face-to-face after Dynamite a couple of weeks ago. And then after last night, Omega versus Osprey 3 with where I think this story could go. Omega has now lost to Osprey. Osprey cheated to win, he used the screwdriver. Omega now feels like Osprey cheated to win. He needs to prove that actually Will hasn't got the better of him because Will had to cheat to win. And what I would like to see, I don't know if they would go with it or not, but I think it'll be especially if they're bringing him into AEW eventually, I think this would be the right way to go. I would have Will go over Kenny. And I would have him do it in a way where he goes over clean as well. Because you can then build up that Will Ospreay is on the same level as Kenny. And that's not taken away from Kenny. Far, far few guys, few and far between even, are they beating Kenny for any kind of match, really? Who is beating Kenny one-on-one? Not many people whatsoever, very protected. You have Will Ospreay do that again, you bring that guy in as a top star. And for the people who aren't as familiar with him, he's already now in as a top, top guy. So that's what I would like to see happen. That also depends as well on whether or not you've got the CM Punk and Omega and whether that's going to happen. But, you know, just so happy that after that match, they put on the match they did will is a heat machine he was getting the booze he was playing up to it he was inciting the crowd when he had the blood oh god the blood in that match as well I, Sounds like i'm really into it there but they were they were just bleeding non-stop and when he licked it off his arm and then they did the you sick fuck and he went i am and he looked at the camera and said that i like, This guy's got a mastery for crowd, for TV, everything. Get this guy signed up, Tony. So all in all, wonderful, wonderful match. For me, the match of the night, I wouldn't say by far. I know some people are saying this blows everything else out of the water. I will rate higher the next match I'm going to speak about than a lot of people are doing. But overall, really, really, really great match. Cannot wait to see the third instalment of it. And that brings me on nicely to the main event of the evening. Now coming into this, people weren't sure whether it was going to be Osprey and Omega that would main event, but no, it was this—the right match to main event: Kazuchika Okada versus Brian Danielson. Just a dream match, or potentially even the dream match for. Pro wrestling, if you will, as opposed to sports entertainment, people I think people will think that's a bit of a dig. It's not. It has just been the match that people are wanting to see. There's this history there of Danielson wanting to have a run in the G1 so he could face Akada or take some time in Japan so he could go and wrestle Akada. He wanted that when he was in WWE, and it was very, very much too little, too late. If reports are to be believed, and I can't remember whether these reports were reports or whether they were Danielson himself reporting this, Danielson was allowed to watch AEW or was actually asked to watch AEW by Vince so that he could see what was going on. And Danielson fell in love with what was going on over AEW in terms of what he liked to do. And bringing him to AEW and being able to say, By the way, Brian, we've got Forbidden Door as well, and you can come and you can wrestle these guys. And to have him come and have his match with Okada just must have been fantastic for him. So it starts off, and you can kind of hear something build up, and just built up to the final countdown. Now, I know all about the history of the final countdown with Brian Danielson and Ring of Honor. I didn't watch Ring of Honor at that time, so I've always kind of thought, I don't understand how good this would be as a theme. You know, it was it was actually worked really, really well, but you could see what that meant to Danielson to be able to have that, and I loved that for him. Tony Khan has come out and said that it basically costs how much a contract for a wrestler would cost or something ridiculous like that. From what I've heard about Europe and how much it costs to license their songs, I'm not surprised if that is true, and I don't envision him having this going forward, but even for one night, just being able to use this song must have meant the world to Brian. And to have it being against someone like Okada, just absolute phenom of a guy. The guy, in terms of legends, while there might be a lot of people in America, around the world, who have never heard of him, the guy is like one of the top, top, top level guys ever. And people refer to him as the John Cena of New Japan because of how just big a star he is, how well he carries himself, how he has been the focal point of that company and the company has been built around him. Just a great guy, very rarely loses, never really loses to submissions, all of that sort of stuff and is just a super worker to boot. The guy is great and I think he's still, in this day and age, a little bit underrated. And I think as well, for me anyway, when I used to watch New Japan, try to get into it. I always felt that their roster was really stale because it felt like it was Okada and the rest. Much in the way that WWE used to have with John Cena and the rest. Whereas bringing him here and having matches with these guys, I think is actually really freshening him up. And it allows you to just be reinvigorated by what he can bring. So the match just started off really, really strongly. Um just a really hard-hitting affair. Now, sadly, at one point during the match, I think it was when he was on the top rope and came down, Danielson did fracture his, I think his left arm or his right arm, I can't remember which one, but he fractured his arm. And you could see that, actually, I think it was his right arm, and he just kept bringing his arm into his stomach quite a lot. Throughout the match, you had these uppercuts just being thrown and that's all I'm remembering from this it's just the upcuts and the noise it made and I understand that people came out of this feeling a bit a little bit let down because they probably expected something just mind-blowing because this match has been the most talked about match for so long and what if we ever get it so I think expectations could never be met for this match and I think you're going to get a very different style of match than you are from Omega versus Osprey, who probably put on a clinic out there, and so close to this match as well, that you're always going to have that little bit of letdown and degree. I think a couple of things happened in this match. One, the injury to Danielson, I think really did hurt the match, and I think probably finished, sorry, probably hurt the ending of the match that a little bit more as well. But even with that in mind, the work that these guys could put on in spite of that shows how much the top of their game they are. Secondly, I do not for one minute believe this is a one and done. They keep saying this is a dream match, once in a lifetime. I think you're going to get this twice in a lifetime, thrice in a lifetime. <laughs> much like the Rock and Cena, I think we're getting it with Okada and Danielson. This match was predicated on... The being the litmus test for who's the best wrestler in the world. If you beat me, you're a better wrestler than me. You are one of the best. And I think a lot of people were expecting Danielson to lose because of that. Also, I think people were expecting Danielson to lose because it's a carder. Now, coming into this, where I sat on this, like I said, I thought the majority of the card was really easy to predict. And this one for me was just another really easy one to predict. I did not think that they would have a mega lose... And Danielson lose. I think having two of your top guys in AW lose, even if one of them is by shenanigans, I don't think is good for the company. So I think my thought was whatever happens there, this is what happens here. And I did not see a world where Osprey lost. So I was backing Danielson to win. And I also said at the time as well that if the BCC lost their match... They're not going to have all of them lose in the same night on Forbidden Door, surely. But that's kind of where I was thinking. That was just a bit of a backup there. But I thought it was great that Danielson won. The guy is a really given performer. And he puts over a lot of top guys. And I think now, as long as Danielson is in the stage and ability to carry on wrestling. And wrestling at a decent level. Sorry, a decent amount over the course of coming months and whatnot, after he returns from injury, we really need to be thinking about, does Danielson get a run with the AEW title? And I can't help but think that maybe concerns about injury is why he hasn't had it yet, because he has been bloody great since he's come in. I would like to see him potentially be the person that takes the title from MJF later this year. Again, You've kind of got a few things you can do with MJF in the lead up and a lot of people are thinking it's gonna be Adam Cole that takes it and it's gonna be the bid and war of twenty twenty four. I would have Danielson take it, even if just for four or five months, and just have him be super worker with the title. But they were they were great. These guys were absolutely great, but it felt to me that they were definitely holding him back a little bit. Like I said, the spots with the uppercuts just Brutal, just constantly, the way they actually laid them in and you could hear the sound of it, all of that, just brilliant. People looking for moves and real fast-paced action, all that, you weren't getting that with this match. This was a lot more slow-paced and methodical, beat, beat, beat. And I can understand why this wouldn't have been everyone's cup of tea. This is sometimes things that even I can struggle with at times, but They did a really great job here. They really built it up well. Timing-wise was really great for me as well, going half an hour. You don't need matches to go more than half an hour 99% of the time. You really don't. And I think that is a problem that happens with New Japan, and it can really come across an AW sometimes as well. And I really hate saying something like that because it sounds like, Why wouldn't you want a long match if it serves the match and serves the story? Sometimes I just think it's done for the sake of it and it's gone. To have a great match, we need to be 45 minutes to an hour long. And I think that's where this one really, really led into the fact that it's about half an hour long. Great. The finish was great as well. And tapping carder was unbelievable. I think the reason, again, the finish felt a little bit flat on this one was because of the injury. I think they had to really improvise the ending. I think how you would have ended this is had you'd have had Okada um, in the label lock and you'd have had him really pulling back on it, which he couldn't do with the injuries he got. He tried to do, he couldn't do. So they had to really pivot on it and do a shoulder tap out, which I think a lot of people just saw it as a regular move and then is tapping, it's like, what? Whereas if you had him in the label lock, People are sensing, oh my God, this could be the end of it. And that, I think, caused it to be a bit of a flatter ending. And I think that's why people are also thinking, oh, it wasn't as good. So it was it's a tough act to follow up from that Will and Kelly match to then have the injury. But to do what these guys did without really kind of getting out of third gear was great. Like I said, I think this is going for another match. And I think Wrestle Kingdom is where this happens. I don't know how they get there I think Wrestle Kingdom we get Okada versus Danielson two, and I think that is why you're going to get Omega versus Osprey 3 in AEW I think that's the trade-off for this I'm more than happy with that because Danielson getting his chance to wrestle in Japan for New Japan would just be a dream for him I know so yeah really great stuff there too So then we move on to the Elite versus the BCC with Takeshita and Shota Umino. And on the Elite side, we had Eddie Kingston and Tomohiro Ishii. Great match. And this was a very different kind of match to some of the others on the card. Again, because it's a huge multi-man match. A lot of stuff going on. Very chaotic at times, but also really great keeping the in-ring action going at other times. I felt it told a lot of good stories. It helped push this Elite and BCC feud along further. I loved the entrance to that music that BCC had. I thought it really fit the mood of those guys. And also having Eddie with the Elite just felt really, really odd. But that was part of the desire to see what actually happened there, isn't it? So this match, coming into it, I thought we were going to have the Elite lose I thought what we were going to have was Eddie Kingston have some kind of issue or miscommunication that would lead him to losing effectively I thought we're going to get some split loyalties going on and whatnot and what I found interesting about this match was it actually ended with New Japan pinning New Japan as well so interesting they can protect both of the um, stables there while also having New Japan take centre stage, which I thought was really nice. I thought the guys over on the BCC just looked as great as they normally do. Really hard-hitting, lots going on. The one that I felt kind of got lost in the shuffle a little bit in this match was Wheeler Utah. Normally, he's a star for me, and these things are really underrated. He got a little bit lost in the shuffle for me, but apart from that, I just thought it was a really, really good match, really hard-hitting. The Elite got the win, like I said, really shocked by that. Because I was expecting the BCC to take the win. But this is obviously leading up to blood and guts now, isn't it? Which is going to be interesting given there's no Danielson. So do they go four on four? Or do they look to have that fifth member? Because the whole thing has been about how they would have a five on four advantage. And Kota Ibushi was coming in. So do the BCC find someone? If they do, I'm not sure who it's going to be. But... Yeah, really, really interesting, especially with Danielson injured reportedly until sort of six to eight weeks away, which means that he would be back just in time for Wembley. I don't think we're going to get him in blood and guts and I don't think they should risk him. So interesting to see what happens there. but. Really, really good match. Really fun match. Liked that everyone got the chance to shine. I loved that there was a little bit in there where Eddie wanted to protect Moxley. So his loyalty was still to his friend, even when they had that stare down where it was basically like, what is going on here? Why are you standing across the ring from me? And it just really took me back. I don't know what it was, but it just really took me back to Moxley and Kingston versus the Young Bucks back uh, I think it was at Daily's Place all those years ago now. But it's amazing how different AEW is now compared to then. But yeah, it was great, great match. I think it was one of those ones where even though it was story-based, it didn't really further the story along. And that's fine. It was just a good match on what was needed for this show. So yeah, really, really happy with how that one went down. The one I think was low-key match of the night. Orange Cassidy, Zack Saber Jr., Ketsuyuri Shibata, and Daniel Garcia. Four-way match for the AEW International Championship. Great, great match. We all knew that was going to be a great match. At just under, or I should say just over 11 minutes, I feel like we could have gone double on that and everything great. There was just so much going on, so much reversals, great technical wrestling. Zack Saber Jr. and Shibata doing some great reversals and shifting the weight and shifting position. Daniel Garcia is the only thing about it that at times was great. And at times where I'm just like, what are we doing with this guy? Can we not just hurry up and get him into the BCC now? Like, can this Danielson injury really be the thing that pushes him at getting him into that group? Because I feel like he's being wasted with Jericho. He's not progressing in terms of character. He's doing this fucking stupid Dance all the time. Yeah, it's getting heat, but it's not getting heat in the way that that guy could get heat. The guy is really, really great and has a lot more skills. He's very one-dimensional as he is now, but being in the ring with these three men and the experience he would have got from that, I feel really happy for him because you know, again, he's going to love something like this. So, really, do go out of your way to check this match out if you haven't done so. Orange Cassidy and Will Osprey was The match of the card last year. While it's not going to be this year. And that goes to Will again this year. Unsurprisingly. I would say. Match two on the card. In terms of how great it was. This match does have a claim to that. Danielson and the card. My second favourite match of the night. But I could see why people would want this one as well. Coming out of this. I'd love to see more of Zack Sabre Jr. Against Orange Cassidy. Zack Sabre Jr. is someone who I've always he's someone I've always admired but never really connected with. A phrase I use a lot. I should get that put on a t shirt. Never connected with them. But something about him now and his presentation and everything feels a bit more magnetic now. Stuff he was doing in the ring felt great. I'd love to see some more of him, Shabata and Orange Casty. And Throwing Garcia there as well. Bits and bobs there. But a program between him and Orange Cassidy would be great. Kind of get the feeling that's where they might go to Wembley for that. I don't know if I would put that as a Wembley one. Um, because this is what I was speaking about earlier. Where as known as Zack Sab- Sabre Jr. is. I wouldn't sacrifice someone else on the roster for that spot. But I don't know even if Orange Cassidy is getting to Wembley with that title. The run that he has had has been great. but. He wasn't going to lose it in this four-way match. Yes, we could have protected him by having him lose in the four-way match. But by the same token, having him lose that four-way match would have been a real disservice to the run that he's done. Because he is going to put someone over by having this win. I still think it's Takeshita. I wanted Swerve. I thought Takeshita could be the guy even when he was a babyface. Now that he's a heel, it really feels like it's Takeshita's to take Swerve or Takeshita—they are my pick. So who's going to end? But guys, do go out of your way to watch this match. Great, and like I said, it's just over ten minutes long. There's no reason you can't fit this one in in with your day. It's wonderful. Speaking of great matches, um, we had CM Punk versus Satoshi Kojima, and while it wasn't a great match necessarily in terms of technical, it was it was a really serviceable match. I don't think it was any bad match on the card tonight. I think both guys look great. What this one really, really delivered was reaction and crowds. CM Punk was getting booed to hell and it was wonderful. And I'm not saying that because I'm some CM Punk hater or anything. I'm saying that because CM Punk is properly leaning into this shtick. The guy is a pro. The guy knows that whatever he does, he's going to get a reaction. He knows if he leans into it more and more and more and more and more, the crowd are going to get more riled up. And he was doing that. When he was hitting the larry in the corner to Kojima and he just kept repeating it over and over, staring at the camera. He was cupping his ear to the crowd, all of that stuff. Both guys looked really, really good. Like I said, it wasn't a great match. It was just a good match. And that's fine. I'm not here to think that CM Punk is going to come out and put stellar five-star classic matches in the traditional way anymore. I'm not even sure that that was ever CM Punk's wheelhouse. For as good as he is in the ring, he is about psychology, character, crowd and all of that. That was the things that really got him in with that John Cena match that we all love to this day. And that's what I think of when I think of CM Punk matches. It's, it's the in-ring alongside all the other stuff. It's why I love the match with him with Eddie Kingston. I think is one of the most underrated matches in AEW history. But I digress slightly. Punk Kojima was really fun for what it needed to be and progresses punk in the Owen Hart tournament, which leads me on nicely to the Owen Hart tournament itself and my picks for it. So when the brackets got announced, I had a look and I found it was quite interesting because I wasn't expecting punk to be in there. And what they've been a bit safe, I think, on these brackets because they've put Maybe some matches that look like it could very well go a particular direction because of previous stories or reports of previous stories. But here's where I think we go. On the men's side, I think CM Punk's winning. and I think he's winning over Powerhouse Hobbs in the final. I don't see Punk losing for a while in a singles match. And I think that would be stupid because Punk is a top-level guy. We had the loss as a team on Collision. I think that's fine to do. It really settles it that Punk can still lose a match. Fine. But I don't think you have that singles loss yet. Unless that singles loss comes at the hands of one of the elite. That is the only way I think it's acceptable to have Punk losing at this stage. So I think Punk goes all the way to the final. I think he takes out Samoa Joe in the next round. He goes over Roderick Strong. And yeah, I think it's you could have... Starks get the win over Hobbs and then have Starks lose to Punk I think the better match is Hobbs versus Punk I think Starks is a little bit lost as a character this year I know a lot of people love him and I'm a big Ricky Starks fan but I just think that some of the programs he's been given this year I think he's a little bit lost not not through his fault at all the guy he can only work what he's given But the Jericho feud, again, I will constantly hammer on about that, how everything just felt really backwards there. I felt the Jay White feud kind of went on just a little bit too long towards the end, or at least didn't advance in the way it felt it should. So you could have him going to the main event against Punk. Punk may still be getting those boos. So actually, babyface Ricky against Punk, or if you're looking to get Hobbs getting a bit of a face turn going. You could use that, I imagine. So either way, I see Punk winning in the final of that. On the women's side of the thing, I have got Willow Nightingale winning. I think Willow on her side 100% goes through to the final. I think I've mentioned before that it looks like we're at a stage where we're now levelling up to who are going to be kind of the next level women that are going to start taking slots alongside... Brit Bakers, your Jamie Hayes, and the ones that are going to sit just below that, a nice kind of level just below that we need to start filling up and creating the depth in the roster. Willow is the next person that I think is taking that step from being just under to appear alongside. She has the New Japan Women's Strong title, and I thought at the time that she was going to win that anyway. Maybe that's just me being... Um, Really optimistic, but I kind of thought her beating Mercedes-Benz at the time, as big a star as Mercedes was, I don't know. It just felt like that could be a real, a real good swerve for them and something people didn't expect to see. Injuries played its part, so we'll never know in terms of what has been said and all of that stuff that's out there. But having her win the tournament, I think, really solidifies her at the top of the card in the women's division. I think on the other side of things, I think Sky Blue is going to the semi-finals on that side. And I think she's going against Britt Baker. I know there's been a story with the Outcasts and Britt has obviously had her troubles with the Outcasts. You've had Ruby Soho against um, all of them. You've got Ruby Soho against Britt Baker now. You've had Ruby Soho and Sky Blue having a bit of a to-do over the stuff with Willow. So you've got stories there that you can play into. You've got Britt Baker trying to do the run through and reclaim her title as well. She wants to be a back-to-back winner. And I think that's where having someone like Willow beat someone like Britt Baker, that's where it takes up to the next level. I think you could have tag partners in Willow and Sky Blue going against each other. I think for the first couple of years, you've got to give it big. You've To really establish it, you've got to give it big. Adam Conn, Britt Baker, year one, was giving it big, but also power couple, so it made it even bigger. On the men's side in year two, you've got CM Punk. You could do Samoa Joe in there as well, but I think it's going to be CM Punk. And on the women's side, if you, for me, if you do Sky Blue versus Willow, it's just a little bit, a little bit lacklustre. And I think... There's nothing wrong with Sky Blue having a very competitive but ultimately losing match to Britt Baker, which still solidifies her at that second tier of women who will break through eventually, almost like, and hear me out here, the Jericho kind of role, where Jericho used to be that really high, intercontinental level guy in that role, and then when it was time for him to step into the main, he didn't look out of place. That's where I think Sky Blue's building to now, and that's where I think she is, so yeah, that those are my picks for the Owen. It is going to be Willow Nightingale going over Britt Baker in the finals, and CM Punk going over most likely Powerhouse Hobbs. But either way, CM Punk winning it. So we've just spoken there about the the ladies, and that brings me on to the match of Tony Storm versus Willow Nightingale. You know, it was what it was. I. Didn't think it was a particularly great match. But again, I think all of the ladies involved are really talented. So I don't even necessarily think it was them. This whole match just feels like an afterthought. It really, really does. I know that there was issues with getting women from um, stardom for this. Because they also had a show on the same night. I know that really New Japan and women have not been a thing that's really happened up until the IWGP title created for the women recently so it really felt like an afterthought and really thrown together at the last minute I think they did as well as they could for what they had didn't think it was particularly memorable but glad they got on the card because all of these women deserve to be featured we also had Sting, Darby Allin and Naito versus the Suzuki Gods again Thought that was kind of is what it is. Some of his parts really. I don't really get that excited for matches like this again. where it's Darby Allen and Sting. I love Darby. Sting kind of needs to be used in something for me. Which I really want to see him in. And feels like a real escalation. This didn't. I think it is eventually pushing to something with Sting and Jericho. And potentially that at Wembley. Don't know what that could be. But I think having this Unforbidden Door... It was just one of those ones. It just felt a bit exhibition for me. And that's not through anything but the guys trying to really build this up. And i have done that. I think if we're going to continue this one, we really need to do something to escalate the tension between everyone. And then on to the final two matches of the card that we haven't covered yet. MJF versus Hiroshi Tanahashi. Hey, good match for what it was. Tanahashi absolute legend of the game the fact that he's still going out and doing what he's doing at the level of what he's doing right now is great but there are noticeable very noticeable signs of obviously slow down from him there have been for years now the way that he's just seemingly immobile at times in the ring and then able to jump out of things but everyone knows what MJF can bring in the ring or if they don't know then they're really really um Being disingenuous I think. Because the guy is great in the ring. He normally has the match of the night. Or at least one of the most talked about matches of the night. I don't think that was the case here. I think there's at least three matches. I'd I'd obviously watch Will and Kenny over this match. Danielson, Akada, The four way for the title. And possibly even Punk and Kojima I'd watch over this match. Because it just had this real energy and booing. And real horrid heat behind it. This didn't have any of that for me. It was a good choice for the first match of the night. It gets MJF out there. It gets the crowd already invested in something. The only thing I could have done potentially differently with this card is put MJF and CM Punk's match the the other way around, but I think you'd have been doing MJF and Tanahashi a disservice because I don't think following that would have been really that good for them. It was what it was. It was 15 and a half minutes long. It could have probably had a couple of minutes shaved off. Just to stop it from being feeling as bloated as it probably did towards the end. But again, like I said, none of these matches were inherently bad. I just think with not having stakes in some of them, that's what takes them from being okay and good to that next level for me. And I thought this was fine for what it was. And it was enjoyable. I just probably wouldn't go back and watch it. And then we had the final match of the review here, which was Sonada versus Jungle Boy Jack Perry. And, you know, this was really odd the way this has all come about. The open challenge was put out there by Sonada. And Jungle Boy is someone that obviously AEW fans know. And it felt very mid. Like, to me, this felt like when WWE had the World Heavyweight title, but it was a mid-card belt. And that's what this feels like in this. And interestingly to me, neither of the promotions titles are even in the, what, final five matches of the card. They're both in the first half of the card, which is really interesting. But this one felt like a real mid-card match. They did the open challenge. Then there was the stuff in character with Sonata going, I don't know who this guy is. And it just, it felt odd. It didn't feel like it was a guy who was a really cocky guy and... Trying to build himself up and whatnot. Sonada, I've always thought the most interesting thing about him was his presentation and his, yeah, he used to have his real, his interesting blonde hair that he would have and the beard. And he had a look about him where you could almost do a drawing of him and he would stand out as a character. And that's one of those things that I think sometimes with Japanese wrestling, I find it's hard to get these guys that just stand out. And Nakamura was one of them who could just really stand out. Just based on his appearance, his demeanour. Whereas there's a lot of people who can blend in with each other. Because they don't have this magnetic personality. Or really differentiate their look. And Sanada was someone I felt differentiated his look quite a lot. And here he just felt boring. He had the dark hair. He had a robe. Nothing about him felt standout or world champion material so i thought the match again decent match showed off what these guys can do in the ring perfectly fine i thought the little trap kind of submission or hold that he got jungle boy in i thought that was really cool but other than that there wasn't anything that made me think yeah this was great again another good match for it was it was 10 minutes long yeah it was all right the main talking point about this was jungle boy finally did it he turned on hook clotheslined him picked up the belt and then i loved at the end when he was doing the let me hear your booze and he dropped to his knees and he just put his arms out i would love to see something with jungle boy and cm punk i would love to see something with jungle boy and christian even in both cases if it's something just short term just you don't even have to with christian it can just be some kind of told you so I'm really interested to see where Jungle Boy goes from here I've always loved the dude I think he's good but again character wise he just lacked something and what I like about him was he connected with people just for being a great wrestler and people liked him he was a nice guy and he I listened to him on Renee Young's Mm. podcast a couple of years ago and what I really liked it about it was the fact that he said He's not the most comfortable of promos. So he's trying to learn all of that. So when I say the guy lacks a little bit, I'm not saying that that he lacks and he's terrible. Not at all. He's openly said, this is where I'm not as great at. This is where I don't have as much experience at. I'm going to concentrate. I'm going to do something about it. I love that. I love when someone knows where they need to round themselves out a bit more and will do that. And that's why, yeah, at times in the Four Pillars program, there was times where it was like, oh, that's a bit rough. But knowing that, hey, he is trying to make something out of himself and trying to build himself up, trying to get better, a lot of respect for that. So Jack can do something there that I definitely could not do. The amount of times I sometimes have to record the intro to this bloody podcast just because I go, I don't know what I'm saying here. or mix my words up. Yeah, fair play to the lad. He is great in the ring. He needs something different. I'm hoping this is one of those occasions where being a heel just allows him to not overthink who he is as a good guy. And he can just let go. So really, really pleased that this has come about. I think he takes the FTW title from Hook. I think it gives him some kind of run. Don't know what that's going to look like. But I am here for it. So guys, that is AEW New Japan Pro Wrestling Forbidden Door 2023 in the books. Again, overall... Very, very good to great matches at the top of the card. Some a card of really good matches and then one or two standouts as well. Like I said, Osprey and Omega 2, fantastic. It was 40 minutes long, it was a great match, maybe went on a little bit too long and the end a little bit flat. But even all of that that I've just said, even with that, I think it was fantastic and the best match of the card. Danielson and Okada, again, they were battling with injuries and it looked like they were holding back a little bit. I think we get Danielson and Okada too at Wrestle Kingdom. Go and watch it. Don't expect some Omega Osprey style, quick, fast pace. This was hard hitting, strong style and it was bloody fantastic. I would check out the Elite versus the BCC It doesn't feel like it moves the story on a whole hell of a lot. But that's fine as a soaring placeholder until we get to Blood and Guts. Absolutely fine for what it was. So in a little bit as a tension between Moxley and Kingston. It was also so in tension between Kingston and the Bucks. Even though they're on the same team and just pushing them out of the way and whatnot. Great. The four-way match. Wonderful, wonderful match. Again, I'm probably, between that one and the Elite BCC, they are going into my third and fourth spots and just kind of beating each other each time. CM Punk and Kojima, worth watching as well, just for their reactions. So, guys, that is it from me. Thank you so much again for just bearing with me while I dealt with some um Home Life stuff over the weekend. didn't get the episodes out that I wanted to, I would have loved to have done a proper prediction show and follow up on Collision and Dynamite. Not to be, but obviously we'll move forward for that to the next pay per view when that comes around. Although, next pay per view is actually going to be Wembley. I'm going to be there. So, do not expect anything from me in the day after, I would imagine, because I am most likely going to be travelling back home. And maybe something later that night when I can go, oh, my God, this happened and this happened and this happened. Anyway, guys, I'd really love to hear from you all. I'm seeing when I look on the back end of the uh, podcast host, the numbers are going up. I've got people who have been checking us out from the UK, which is where I'm from. Canada, US, which seems to be my second strongest point. I've even had a couple of people in Australia. Want to give a shout out. Someone in Germany. Downloaded one of the last episodes. I don't know if it was the last episode or the first one. They have appeared on my radar. So, um, Guntag to Germany. Really glad to see that this is going out to a few different people and numbers are creeping up. Would love for that to continue, guys. So, please, if you could give us a like on any of your platforms, we are on Apple Podcasts, we're on Google Podcasts, or We are on Spotify. We are on everywhere. If you could either give the like, the thumbs up, a star rating, a comment, anything that would really help the algorithm out and help this get seen by more, that would be wonderful. We are on Twitter at All Elite Talking. Love if you could engage with us with the posts that we're putting out, with anything really, even just bumping us up and telling people to give us a follow and liking and following us, that would be wonderful. Also, mailbag at allelitetalking.com would be great to hear from you all, any suggestions you've got or questions for the show which potentially could read out from time to time. Anything that you want to do to get in contact, anything that you think would really help the show or you'd love to see more of, I'm open ears. This is a show that I want to make purely because I love AW, love talking about AW and want to connect with more people who love wrestling and love talking about AW because my one friend I have, I'm sure I probably get to the stage where even he gets wrestling down with me and goes, I don't have any more ideas right now. And again, his opinions on the Hangman page suck. Um, so, guys, yeah, please get in touch with the show. Let me know your thoughts. I'll be back next week. Sorry, this week. Got to get used to this recording on the Monday, Lark. I'll be back later on this week with a dynamite review i'll be back later on at the weekend with a collision review but until then guys i've been george you've been elite thank you so much for listening take care